You're listening to a podcast from the Trinity Longroom Hub Arts and Humanities Research Institute. So everyone, you're more than welcome. And uh, thanks for coming to today's Fellow in Focus. Uh, and I'm absolutely thrilled that we have Darius Komarovsky with us, who's our visiting research fellow at the moment, uh, working uh, around Swiss culture, language, German language in Switzerland, uh, and identity. And who better to be in conversation um, with him than our own uh, Jürgen Barkov, who uh, is not only um, a, a former vice provost uh, and many other roles, but also, of course, former director of the Trinity Longman Hub, and even more important, uh, one of our most distinguished scholars in German language and literature, uh, with a particular interest in, in uh, Swiss German literature, um, Jürgen. So I'm very much looking forward to the conversation. I'm going to leave it up to Jürgen to do a fuller introduction uh, to Derek and his work, um, and there will be some time for questions and comments and conversation towards the end. So, over to you both. Okay, thank you very much, Eve. Uh, it's great to be here and to uh, be involved in this particular uh, Fellow in Focus conversation because uh, uh, Darius and I have been working together for a while and it's an absolute pleasure to have you here as Hub Fellow connected to uh, my school, Languages, Literatures and Cultural Studies and also to the Identities and Transformation research team. So, uh, Professor Darius Komorowski is Professor in, uh, of German Philology at the University of Wroclaw in Poland. He's the director of the Research Center for German-Swiss Literature there, and he's editor-in-chief of CH Studien, an online journal on Swiss literature and culture. Uh, Darius has publi published widely on Swiss literature and Swiss identity discourses. He's particularly interested in republicanism and the common good in contemporary German literature. Um, uh, he published, uh, among many, many uh, publications, a monograph on the important uh, and, and uh, underrated Swiss turn-of-the-century publicist Karl Albert Losli and the role of his work in Swiss identity debates. And uh, in 2021, a very important volume on the return of the Res Publica with, was published with Vandenhoek and, and Ruprecht, one of the most distinguished German publishing houses. So um, it's, it's great to have you here as a fellow. Um, it's, 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 and I'm really looking forward to discuss with you more about uh, the project that you brought here uh, and that, uh, as we already heard at the coffee morning uh, um, two weeks ago, uh, fits in very well with a lot of the interests of people here in the hub and in college. But before we come to that, I really want sort of to, to ask you, um, we, this is, an, in, this is a, always an opportunity to introduce our fellows a bit more widely. So I want to ask you, what, what, how did you become interested in literature so that you would devote your professional life to it, and also uh, into to German literature in particular? <laughs> okay. Uh, thank you very much, Jürgen, for, for your uh, introduction, and thank you very much, uh, Eve, Jürgen, for having me here in the hub. It's a pleasure. I'm honored to be a fellow and uh, the opportunity to present my uh, work and my project here. I uh, really uh, appreciate it very much. Uh, to my uh, start with literature, uh, 
probably it, the roots are in my family because my mother uh, was a teacher for Polish and literature all the time preserved in our home. And uh, it, was, it was Polish and uh, that, were, that I turned uh, aftermath to the German literature. It wasn't so obvious because, you know, as I, went, <laughs> as I went for the first time to Germany, my grandma said to me, take Kardarek, there are Germans. <laughs> so it wasn't that easy, but uh, it worked good, very well. And uh, I think uh, uh, I don't uh, regret it, or I haven't regretted it, never. So, um, and Swiss German, uh, I would say at the beginning, at the very beginning, it was uh, it was uh, just by chance that I decided to, to start with Swiss German literature. You can say uh, by chance, or you can say it, it was a fate, maybe, or I would like to say uh, I, I've always had good luck to meet people who are open-minded, who are friendly, and who are well, were, have been, are always very helpful. And that was this case when I was a young PhD student and I went to Austria for the first time for a short uh, fellowship or scholarship. And uh, at this time it was one month and in the middle of this of my stay in Klagenfurt in Austria, uh, came to Klagenfurt Professor Ulrich Stadler uh, from Zurich and uh, he gave a lecture over there. I was working on a Swiss author at this time and uh, I didn't find anything in the Klagenfurt at the University Library. Anything material to this author. Nothing, really nothing. And after his lecture I came to, to Uli Stadler and asked him, yeah, do you know this author maybe? Can you say me anything? Could you help me, maybe? And uh, he thought a while and said, okay, I'll try. He came back to Switzerland. And even before I left Austria, I had two weeks more. Even before I left Austria, I received a package of copies of texts sent by Professor Stadler. He became, after that, my uh, inofficial uh, uh, supervisor for my, for my PhD thesis. But that was the, the very beginning of my adventure with Swiss German literature. So it's very strong connected with people. And it was, uh, he opened the door for Swiss culture to colleagues in Switzerland. And uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's the beginning. That's very interesting, um, the, the importance of relationships, of networks. Yes. Uh, one of the uh, raison d'etre for institutes like this is, of course, because they can, uh, they can help foster these kind of relationships. Uh, so that's great to hear. Um, I, I, to move away from the personal, I want to ask you a question that I was asked at a job interview once, yeah. where I sort of, uh, you know, I have my interest in Swiss German literature, and. Uh, and one of the interviewees said, why, tell us, why should we be interested in Swiss literature? Yeah. You know, there are three, uh, there, I mean, national philologies 
the whole idea of a national literature has become problematic, of course, has been challenged. Sort of, why should we, uh, why should we differentiate between nation, German literatures, Austrian literature, Swiss literature? It's all German-speaking literature. But, but, um, but how would you answer that, the question? Uh, uh, why should we be interested in particular in Swiss literature? So for me, it was, uh, of course, it was the way to, to, uh, to uh, encounter the Swiss culture. It was, it was the way to uh, approach to these problems which are for me uh, very important because of the question of identity. Uh, on this way, via literature, I could more maybe have insight in the problems that, appears, uh, that, that, uh, that appear in, uh, within the Swiss culture or Swiss cultures and the identity questions is one of the very important because that was for me a big uh, question how do they manage it to stay together to stick together in a small country uh, where you have four different cultures uh, where you have a lot of this uh, centrifugal forces and they stay together. So what make the people in Switzerland feel once as a citizen of one country with two different cultures? And uh, literature, of course, is one of the ways when you, when you can uh, yes, try to find the answer to these questions. And uh, you know, it's, it wasn't that easy when, when we uh, think about such authors like uh, uh, Charles Ferdinand Ramin, French-speaking author from Switzerland. Even 1938, he wrote to Denis de Rouchemont, uh, the only uh, common thing that we are as Swiss people is the color of our mailboxes in the streets and the uniform of police officers. <laughs> That's the only thing, 1938. Uh, so it's were decades of being together were passed. And this question of regional identity, local identity, was and still is so strong that uh, I wonder every time how do they do? <laughs> yes, and, and of course, uh, they, 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 uh, um, Switzerland is living an identity model that is so different from the one that has caused the yes. nationalisms of the 19th and 20th century with all its, with all its uh, catastrophic consequences, um, because it's four languages, four cultures, and, uh, and, and four uh, groups that have decided to be together. Yeah. Yeah? The talk of a Willensnation, of a nation of, of the will, will. Yeah? Yeah. that's together because they are determined to be together. Yeah. Uh, we could talk the whole hour about that, but let's move a little bit on. I just want to add, before we come sort of to your research interests, I want to ask a bit about the current situation of German studies in Poland. Um, uh, you are, your university was, of course, is in a special situation. Uh, it was for a long time one of the, the, the leading German-speaking universities as Universität Breslau, the intellectual center of Silesia, of Schlesien, 
and uh, some of this uh, um, some of this uh, history is expressed in the way your subject is positioned at your university. Very interesting. Normally, German studies in most uh, foreign language uh, uh, in most universities outside the German-speaking world would be together with French and English and Spanish and Italian and Russian and Japanese and Chinese and so on, the foreign language philologies. In Wroclaw, uh, they share a building with, with Polonistic, with Polish studies, yeah, expressing sort of the, 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 the history of the university. So, so how is German studies doing in, in Poland and, and, uh, and in your university? So, as you said, so uh, the um, German Study Institute where I'm working uh, is one of the biggest in Europe uh, when we think about in, in terms of foreign uh, German studies, not, not in Germany or Austria, of course. Uh, so, uh, and uh, what is maybe amazing was that the very beginning of this German studies after the World War II, because it started. 1945. At the very beginning of the new university, after the Second World War, it was we had the German studies. Uh, think about this movement. Poland was moved from east to the west. So this university was until 1945, actually, the German university. So uh, our biggest enemy to that, to that time. Uh, and Professor Pietrek, who was working, who was the creator of German studies at our university, uh, he wrote in the few years after Mart the biggest uh, dictionary, German, Polish, Polish, German, that I used for my study even decades later. So it's very, very profound work. Uh, so that's, that was the, the situation. That was really, I, I won, I'm wondering what, what was the situation at this time, how many, uh, how much power should these people uh, have had for, to, to, to put it, to pull it forward, to, 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 to have this uh, intern power to, to, to manage this project of German studies in Wroclaw. At the moment, uh, German studies actually is not so, uh, are not so popular than English studies, of course, or uh, Spanish uh, languages, German. We are in the west of Poland, so very close to the border to Germany. We, are, we have a lot of connections economically, economical or, or uh, even cultural. There are a lot of exchange uh, between students and uh, pupils in, in, in the schools. So German language is still uh, very important in our part of, of our country. So Wrocław, Poznań and uh, Gdańsk in the north. So these are actually, actually at the moment the leading universities in German studies. Uh, so, and I can imagine, of course, that uh, this trend to um, get uh, to get uh, 
a bit smaller or to, 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 uh, to go back in the armament of students uh, that we have to, to take it in account in the future. Uh, but uh, it's a trend in Poland as well. It's not. Uh, and when I speak to my, with my uh, colleagues in France, in, in, uh, in Norway or in uh, other countries in Europe, we have the same problem. Mm. And, and so do we. Yeah. Um, but um, um, let me sort of stay with the, the Polish situation uh, for a moment. Yeah. Uh, Poland is of course one of the countries that in one of the European countries that in recent years has moved towards what is called liberal democracies, yeah. um, uh, uh, which includes uh, infringement on, of, on free speech or at least a threat to do that. Uh, has that uh, has that an influence on your work, on your subject? One of the things I mentioned in my introduction is that you are interested in republicanism, in the idea of community and the common good. Is that partly motivated by the political situation? Um, I should say that here in the hub we often had have discussed the crisis of democracy and indeed the crisis of democracy in Europe is one of the big topics that the hub explores from a variety of angles. I remember behind the headlines discussions on that where we had colleagues, uh, Polish colleagues who teach in our Russian and Slavonic studies department speaking about the, the challenges uh, your country is facing. Yeah. So does that, does that have an impact on, on, your, on your work in the university and on your research? On my research, of course, but I don't think it has a uh, negative impact at the moment. It was uh, a kind of uh, trigger uh, for, for my uh, research uh, on uh, Respublika, for example. Uh, but when I look back uh, on uh, my research during the decades, I must say it's very, very strong tied with my personal experience. Because I grew up in, uh, in the communism, so I see in the, eight, in the late 90s, I saw this big, or 80s uh, firstly, I saw this movement of solidarity in Poland. Uh, the first question, what made the people at the peak time, 10 million people in the solidarity movement, what made the people together, together to and to undertake something together for the better future, 10 million people. And then I saw the creation of a new state, of the new society, with the question, of course, what are we in Poland? Are we citizens? Are we, you know, in the communism, they were still this very, uh, a very clear line between we and they. We, the people, and they, the government. And in the decades after, after this uh, turn uh, of 90s, uh, so we just managed to, step by step, managed to create something like citizenship in our country. And that was really amazing, because this is this was a very different feeling of being part of the society. 
two totally, totally different feelings. And that was the, of course, and after uh, some decades uh, came this turn uh, in our policy, uh, the new governments came to the power and uh, this national Catholic funded government which is uh, very conservative and founded on the ideas from 19th century and uh, with this idea of nation, uh, nation which uh, doesn't, which is not able to encounter the new challenges coming to us from the world. And uh, of course it has impact on the, on the university, the last, the last uh, event uh, was uh, that uh, our rector of our university uh, was driven, was pressed, to, uh, he was actually ousted from his uh, position as rector, a provost at the university, because of his engagement in helping students who took part at demonstration for the women's rights. He decided to organize judicial uh, help for the students. Yeah, judicial help. Yeah, judicial yeah. help for the students uh, to help them in any situations when they have problems with uh, uh, with police or something like that. And that was the reason why the minister, current minister, decided to oust him from his position as the provost. Setup of our university uh, declared clearly it was illegal abuse, violation of autonomy of the university. And uh, we have now another one, but it was the first sign, really first sign, that something is going wrong, something is going wrong at the university. So we have to look forward, optimistic, maybe this year we have elections, let's hope, <laughs> but you never know. Yeah. Um, very interesting and I can sense that people want to ask questions, but just to say, uh, we ask questions at the end uh, on anything, uh, on, on uh, Darius' research, but also on, on the things we've just spoken about, so the context of, of your work, which is of course highly relevant and of great interest to us. So uh, don't forget your questions, but I'll uh, sort of, I think it's time to move on to speak a little bit more about, about your uh, research. Uh, you already um, we already touched upon your interest in identity questions, your interest in republicanism, and uh, let's now talk about your current project, which arises out of these uh, interests. Uh, your current project, you are interested in things, yes. their role in our lives. Um, you uh, are interested in, look, in, in using literature to look differently and afresh at our relationships to the things around us um, and can support a different perspective that breaks out of, let's say, the accepted Cartesian view that they are just dead objects at our disposal who we as the supreme thinking thing, the res cogitans, 
just do with, it, with whatever we like and that they don't do anything with us. And that's something that your work challenges and that the theories that you, uh, that you employ also challenge. So can you so tell us what, what you are doing while you are a fellow in the hub here? Yes, thank you. Uh, so that uh, the subject, the topic that I'm working on is, uh, the title is Things and Actor Network Theory in Literature in the Context of Creating Identity and Community. So, things, actor network theory, literature and community are the main points in this, in this project. The first of all are things, of course, in this, in this context. So, uh, it's, uh, you know, things, I suppose, things become every time very important when the times are not stable, when the people are anxious about, they feel unsecure, they are looking for some things, yeah, things which are stable, which can give us the feeling of stability. And uh, of course, uh, Jürgen mentioned uh, uh, Descartes uh, and with his dividing uh, our reality in object and subjects uh, we have the same uh, or si similar approach uh, actually by Immanuel Kant who uh, discussed this problem as well and uh, uh, who claimed that we can't actually or the things are for us unknowable we all what we can uh, experience, what we can uh, know about things are their appearances. And uh, when we look further on the philosophy, uh, because they are the thinkers that uh, uh, thought a lot, a lot about the relationships between man and things. Uh, for my project is Martin Heidegger, essential, uh, with his uh, theory of things. Uh, and what is very important, uh, this uh, Martin Heidegger and later as well the phenomenolo phenomenologists uh, uh, so things as assemblings. They don't re, uh, perceive things as uh, separate, but in assemblings. Uh, Martin Heidegger uh, thought uh, things as Zeug, so equipment or tool. And these tools, equipments, are not solitary, they are not separate from each other, but they are as a Zeug Ganze, so kind of network uh, in which things always appears. And this network or assemblance of things is very important for me. Uh, and what is not uh, according to, to Martin Heidegger, 
what is really uh, interesting that uh, the things are so strong connected with humans that we don't really realize that we are connected with them. They are just hand, uh, ready to hand for us or handy to us. And in daily use of things, we don't think about it. We have our car keys in our pocket and we won't drive a car. We just take car key and drive. But in this very moment when we don't, when we can't find the key, so we think about, about it. This disruption, disruption is uh, crucial for, a, for that, that the things occur for us and we can perceive them. And that's very, very interesting for my project as well. But coming back to this assembling, uh, because uh, it's one of the most important uh, aspects of uh, thinking about things. Bruno Latour and his uh, actor network theory is uh, actually founded on this thought that things are assembled. Uh, things, objects, ideas, things, uh, human beings are in one entanglement assembling which is uh, where we can found, uh, find a symmetry between them. So what Bruno Latour questions is the very fundamental thing that uh, only human subject can act, that any action is intentional and rational motivated. Bruno Latour, uh, with this actual network theory, uh, claims that all these things, ideas, processes are equal actors in the networks and what accounts is the relationship between all these network uh, uh, actors. So we have again kind of assembling where we have different things, objects, ideas and human yeah, beings. Maybe I can sort of, that, that's a very radical thought that things yes. have agencies, yes. agency just as humans have. Um, and it's maybe not immediately plausible for us that we uh, grew up under the, Carti the dominance of the Cartesian um, um, uh, paradigm. So can you give an example of, of, uh, of, 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 of how, how we can understand this notion that things have agency? So uh, uh, there is a very nice example of, uh, by Bruno Latour as well. So this, this uh, example with factory. When we have factory which is taught not as a factory, we have, we have an imagination of, of a factory. But for Bruno Latour, we can't say or we can't thought, think 
factory as factory at, in itself. It's just work of factory. So in this relationship between buildings, machines, people, uh, delivery, cars, uh, we are kind of assembling, there is kind of networks created uh, where everyone, every part of this relationship is equal important. Uh, Bruno Latour says there is no idea that could last for years if we don't have uh, things that the ideas can relay on. And uh, so in this, in this relationship is actually the very special moment uh, that uh, we can imagine, imagine equality between, between uh, things and, and uh, uh, human beings as equal actors. I, uh, I have maybe, uh, it's one uh, uh, point. Uh, in May last year, there was a very interesting conference I took part at. It was in Dresden, and the topic was promise. It was interdisciplinary interdisciplinary, Inter yeah. interdisciplinary uh, conference uh, where we had uh, polit polit uh, from uh, political sciences, uh, social sciences, philosophers, medicine uh, people, uh, me as philology, as uh, from German studies, and discuss what's the problem of promise. The starting point was in the politics, of course, and uh, uh, with populism and these questions. So no one of us was thinking promise, or we all uh, thought promise is something what is given. No one had asked what made very special situation to be promise. What does it mean, promise? What actors are there to make a situation to a promise? We have, in different situations, we have different actors, of course, different relations. But there is, uh, of course, there is some human subject, there are, but there are different other actors. There is a special clause, maybe, that the speaker is wearing, there is a special space where the promise is uh, given. Let's think there was an example, uh, Angelina Jolie, who uh, undergo, underwent uh, uh, a very special surgery. Uh, and what was the promise for her to do it? Mastectomy. What was the very special promise they, she expected? What is the very special promise? What made she to do it? The, of course, doctors, of course, hospital, 
hospitals, of course, uh, different tools that were used for surgery, of course, media that made this issue to a, let's say, a public problem. So that is the, that is the this is the agency maybe of all these actors mm. who which moved her to do it, to, to, to take promise, let's ask, if will the promise be kept? Be that's, fulfilled, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. the promise was done. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, that's, that's, that's very interesting. Uh, I, I think we need to move on, because yeah. I'm looking at the time, to the role of literature. Actor network theory is a social theory, but you are sort of applying it to literature. What can literature, and perhaps the two authors that you are focusing your project on, Matthias Czocke, um, a Swiss writer living in Berlin, and Sibylle Berg, a German writer living in Zurich, uh, what what can what can literature contribute to our understanding of the relationship our relationships to things and and how can how can it support or nuance the decentering of of our traditional concept of subjectivity which is very much at the heart of of actor network theory. Yes, of course. Also, the first thing that uh, this actor network theory uh, realized is actually this this equality between different actors. So there are, uh, or maybe from other, uh, other points, uh, Latour uh, questions the very important distinction between objects and subjects. So there is, for him, there is no difference between culture and nature. So in this case, in this situation, what we have in this equality between different things, different objects, different actors, literature actually realized that what is demanded by actor-metric theory. We have in literature speaking animals, we have speaking and acting things, not only in tales, but also in uh, theater plays, in uh, novels, so this equality is actually done, is actually given already. So what we have to do, I think, we can, we can maybe as researchers um, think in these categories, in this aspect, as um, that materiality of uh, things can be expressed, can be uh, analyzed, in novels, in literature, as uh, very important or, or equal actors. Let me uh, explain on maybe on an example. Uh, we have um, we can think uh, about New York as a center of culture, fashion, design, different aspects. It's an idea, New York as an idea. New York as a notion, New York as uh, yeah, something that, that exists in our imagination. But could it be possible without all the materiality of New York? Streets, bridges, infrastructure, uh, 
trams, trains, uh, hydrants on the streets. So the materiality of the city is crucial for experience to or to or for uh, yeah for knowing the city. This and, and where does the literature come in? And the literature, yeah, <laughs> the literature. We can imagine such studies that we take uh, the text, let's take uh, Ulysses, and we have different places. We have also a picture of Dublin. Uh, we can take his text, we can take and look what is, uh, what is happened, what is happening at uh, the very special moment in the novel. What is the materiality of things that uh, animate other actors mm. of, of uh, the novel to act? Uh, and what is different in this approach? Because Latour claims there is nothing what we could call social, it doesn't exist in advance. Everything, uh, society, uh, community, it's something what is still in process of creating thanks to the relation. So it's something what appears and his method is actually not the analysis of something what we said, what we think it's given, but to describe points where the actors appear. Describing is the very yeah. is the method of, of actor network theory. Describing and maybe after we have kind of map of relations and when we look on this map of relations, we, we, can, we can think, we can, maybe we can have some conclusions, we can come to some conclusions. But, but the very first moment is to create this, this describing. Yes, yeah. yes. Yeah. And literature does that. I mean, you yes. mentioned New York, I'm thinking of Dos Passos, Manhattan Dos Pas Transfer, yes, would be really interesting, or in the German-speaking literature, Uwe Jonsons Jahrestage, much of it is in New York, that you could sort of look at the relationship between things and, and humans in, in the city. But I think what we can see is in how many directions, really, we, we, can, we can explore yes. the ideas that you have thrown up. So, a couple of things. First of all, um, um, to thank you all for coming, to thank you for this extremely interesting and stimulating talk. Um, uh, uh, Darek is he, Darius is here in room uh, in the third office to the right, 307. Until, uh, 307 until the end of May. So you can individually uh, pick him up on any of the things you've heard and on other things. That's the first thing. The, the second thing is one of the authors that you are writing about, Sibylle Berg, who uh, uh, published a, 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 a much-praised dystopian and grotesque novel GRM on post-Brexit Britain, will come here to the hub and to, to the Trinity and to Dublin and to the hub at the end of August as part of the 
uh, annual meeting of the uh, Association of German Studies in the UK and Ireland. She's the president's guest. She will do a bilingual reading of GRM together with a rapper uh, from Rochdale, the, 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 the disenfranchised community where her novel is set. Um, so, um, so you will also get to see, uh, and, and Derek will be back to give a paper on her work at that conference. So there is a, um, so that's the, the second thing I want to say. And then I want to, to thank uh, uh, Eve, the director of the hub, and everybody at the hub for making this, this fellowship possible, which also for me is a great enrichment. So thank you all, and um, and um, yeah.